Amen. Amen. If you will, turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 11. And I forgot to say earlier, thank you for being here and braving the time change. Any of you ride the struggle bus today to church? You're there? So yeah, I was in the front seat. I was, in the, I was driving the struggle bus. Um, we're glad you're here and it is going to be well worth it. It is absolutely going to be well worth it as we dive into the scriptures today. And already, what a blessing it has been to sing and to witness baptism. Glory be to God, and glory be to God for his word that we hold in our hands. What an absolute precious treasure that we have. I want to remind you of that. Precious treasure that we hold in our hands, the word of God. We pray that these words would not only be on these pages that we read, but it also be written upon our hearts today. So John chapter 11, starting in verse 1, we're going to read all the way Verse 27. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Let us pray. 
Father, the question lies before us today. Do we believe this? Do we believe that Jesus is the remedy for death? If there is doubt in our mind, if there is a hardness of heart today, we pray that by your grace you would come and bring salvation, enlightenment to the truth of your word, that Jesus indeed is the remedy for death. If we would say a wholeheartedly amen today, may we continue to say amen each day that you have gifted us here on this earth. Help us, Father. Strengthen us where we doubt, where we fear, where we worry. May we be a confident people in Christ Jesus. He has already gone before us. He has already done every work that we could ever imagine that needed to be done on our behalf. He has proved that although we die, we can live for eternity. He has defeated death. May we be a people who rejoice in this truth and remain confident in this truth today. We ask that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you would go forth to bring conviction, enlightenment, salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may have a seat. Christ is the remedy for death. The opening sign in the book of John began with a family celebration, a wedding feast. We saw where Jesus came and turned water into wine, and the people celebrated. They were joyful. They were excited. The closing sign in the book of John, before Jesus enters into Jerusalem, ends with a family mourning, a funeral, the loss of a loved one, one of hurt, of great pain, of confusion, of wondering why, not understanding the thoughts and the actions of Jesus, why he delayed in his coming. But after the sign is completed, there will once again be a big celebration. And I prayed already, and I hope for us today that we will have this heart, that although we face suffering, although we face sickness, although we face brokenness in relationships, although we face death, that we will be confident and trust in the word of God that there is a celebration to come. We also see a parallel of Moses and Jesus in John chapter 11. Jesus, of course, being the better Moses. Moses' first sign before Pharaoh, as we see in Exodus, was the turning of water into blood signifying the wrath of God coming upon the Egyptians due to their sin and their defiance against a holy God. Jesus' first sign at the wedding feast was the turning of water into wine, signifying a washing away of sin and providing a covering from the wrath of God to come. See the parallel. But then also, Moses' last sign at the plagues was the death of the firstborn, showing us that sin brings forth death. 
Whereas Jesus' last sign here before going to Jerusalem was raising the dead to life. Christ raises the children of God from the deadness of their sins to life everlasting. It's freedom from the bondage and tyranny of sin. So in summary, as we look in John chapter 11 today, the wrath of God brings forth death. But the grace of God brings forth life. The grace of God brings forth a remedy leading to eternal life. When we speak of the remedy, we search for many remedies. Uh, Whether a child is sick with the flu, we need to give them their medicine. They don't want to take that medicine. And before you know it, you have your precious child in a headlock, (laughs) giving them that medicine that they need. They don't like it. They try to spit it out. They would much rather have Kool-Aid than that medicine, but yet they need the medicine instead of the Kool-Aid. It is the medicine that will make them well. Maybe it's recovering after a surgery and you need to go to rehab and you need to strengthen your body. It's difficult to stand and walk and to persevere in those moments. You don't want to do it, but you know that it's needed as a remedy in order to get back to your normal self. Jesus Christ here is the remedy. And when we look to Christ, here is the good news. He went through the suffering. He went through the pain. He went through the torture. He went through the agony. He went through the embarrassment. He went through all of these things that we go, I don't want to endure that. Christ endured it on our behalf so that we could be healed. When we look to Jesus, he is the remedy. He has done all of the hard work. You may be here today, and you're going, I know that I need to do something in order for God to be pleased with me. That's something that you need to do in order for God to be pleased with you. It's just to trust in the work of Jesus, that which has already been done. So Jesus is the remedy. And John 11 opens with a deathly ill man named Lazarus, who was a dear friend of Jesus. So this clues us in that when Jesus was walking on this earth, he had friendships that were real. He is a personal God. And he had friends whom he loved and spent time with. His sisters, Mary and Martha, at this moment in John chapter 11, are greatly concerned for their brother. So they send out a messenger to bring forth the remedy. Bring to us Jesus. Lord, he whom you love is ill. I'm sure the sisters thought, as soon as Jesus comes, he will heal Lazarus. As soon as he hears these words, he will come quickly. Jesus healed the sick. He could heal Lazarus from his illness. But was this the remedy that God had planned for Lazarus? They had seen many healings, but was this the way for Lazarus to be healed? This is difficult because we have seen God work in the lives of the people around us. We have seen children. We have seen friends who have been healed from sicknesses. And yet maybe we have experienced the loss. Maybe we have experienced the pain when others have been healed of their pain And we're asking ourselves, why? Why were they able to experience a healing, but we weren't? That's 
where Mary and Martha are going to find themselves shortly. They know that if Jesus were to come and say, be healed, Lazarus would be healed in that moment. But yet they're going to suffer loss. Yet Jesus is not at a loss. In verse 4, Jesus responded to the major crisis with peace and authority. See, we can't always respond that way. And we definitely can't respond that way on our own with a true peace and an authority without Christ. This illness does not lead to death. This is a word that Jesus says that is taken back to Mary and Martha. This illness of Lazarus does not lead to death. And then he tells his disciples that it's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Wow. How does our trust in Jesus grow? How is our faith strengthened in Jesus? Because if we would honestly admit today, there are many times in which we have a very low faith in the work of Christ. And maybe you're there right now. You're saying, how can my faith strengthen? How can I have true trust in the Messiah? Well, it happens as we advance through it. And as God is glorified through it. So what is it that we go through? As we see here in this context, suffering. As we go through suffering. Now, to this you may say, I don't want to suffer. That's not the type of life I want to live. And in fact, that's why many people who would say that they are Christians turn from Christianity because they don't want to suffer. They thought that maybe following Christ meant that they would never have to suffer again because somebody falsely told them that in the beginning. That's not Christianity. Christianity is that although we suffer, we persevere through it. And as we persevere through it, we grow in our faith and our trust in Christ Jesus. It's that we always have a hope no matter what we face. You say, I don't want to suffer. Neither do I. <laughs> I don't wake up in the morning and say, man, I, I hope this day is just filled with suffering. Man, I hope I get sick and stay sick and all for the glory of God. Man, that's what I hope God has planned for my life. No, I would like to be healthy. I know you would like to be healthy. But when we do wake up in the morning and we are sick, when we do um, receive that call in the middle of the night that the worst has happened, although all may feel as though it's crashing down, we still find ourselves standing upon Christ Jesus. And we can advance through the suffering no matter how difficult it may be. So a few points before we go any further. Number one, God is not to blame for our suffering. The very first one that we want to look to and blame for our suffering is God. Why, God? Why are you allowing this to happen? But God is not to blame for our suffering. Although, like Mary and Martha, we would say, if you would come quickly, you could stop the suffering. Yeah, of course he could stop the suffering, but just because he could stop the suffering doesn't mean that he is responsible for the suffering. And we will, number two, suffer in a way, in one way or another, whether it be through sickness, through death, broken relationships, the loss of a job. Maybe you've experienced all of these that I've named Maybe you've only experienced one of these things, but we're going to experience many types of suffering while we live here on this earth because number three, our suffering is the result of the curse. The curse that happened in the garden when man rebelled against the holy God and we too have rebelled against the holy God. God is sovereign. He's all-knowing. 
And so when he puts a man who has never sinned into a garden that is good and gives him a command, a one negative command of not to eat from this tree, but of any other tree you may eat from, and yet he, in his own free will, decides to go against God. Get that. When man is free from sin, in his own free will, he chose sin. And as he chose sin... What did that do? It brought sin to everyone who would come from him, the first Adam. Now you say, if I was that first Adam, this would not happen. That's called pride. <laughs> it's called arrogance. Yeah, I've been there too. I thought, man, if, if I just would have had the shot in the very beginning, it would have never happened. If coach would have put me in, we would have won state. <laughs> we think that. We think, you know, I, I could have changed it all. But no man on our behalf who was perfect rebelled against a holy God. God's not to blame. Man is to blame for suffering, for sin. Remember, the snake still crawls on his belly. Why? Because he was cursed as well. When Satan came in the form of a serpent, the most crafty beast on earth, and he tempted Adam and Eve to eat of the tree, he was cursed to crawl on his belly. And any snake that you will see still crawls on their belly. And he says that he will put enmity, enmity between man and a woman, between woman and the snake. And, and to this day, I know that every woman in this room hates snakes. Okay? You can't say you like them because that's going to ruin the illustration. All right? But what he meant there is that there was going to be enmity between her seed, Christ, and the serpent, Satan. Christ was going to crush Satan, the serpent, at the cross. And so when you see a snake, if you were to see a snake today crawling, and, and most people, when they see a snake in South Georgia, they should go ahead and kill it, whether it's a good snake or a bad snake. It's crawling in the dust. The snake is eating the dust. When you raise somebody, when you're in elementary school, you say, hey, eat my dust. Satan's eating the dust. He's fallen. He's crawling around. So anytime you see this sign, it is a reminder of the curse of sin and how it brings us all the way down into the dust. It stands also for physical evidence for why we suffer. Just like God left for us a bow in the sky. Although others may use it for their own sinful agendas, God established a rainbow as a physical reminder that he will never flood the earth again. You can decorate your property. You can wear a shirt with a rainbow flag on it. But yet that flag, that rainbow, let me tell you what it stands for before anything else. It's a promise that God is withholding his wrath by not flooding the earth again. No matter how the world wants to change it, and say that it doesn't mean that. God is the one who established it. And in the same way, when you see a snake crawling in the dust, it is a reminder that Satan has been crushed at the cross of Christ. But our suffering continues until the return of Christ. So maybe that will help us with our confusion. You go, but I thought Jesus won on the cross. Jesus did win on the cross. He won when he rose from the grave, but yet his people remain here in the midst of a broken world. And while we are broken, we encounter suffering, but yet he is made known through our suffering. And in this context, he's going to make himself known through suffering and through deliverance. 
Why does Jesus seem to lack urgency, especially if he loves this family? You ever thought about that? Why is this taking so long? Why am I continuing to struggle? God, do you love me? Do you care for me? I mean, he was friends with these people. Why would he put them through this? We've seen this scenario played out. You receive bad news, you get up and you rush to fix it. What can I do to help? I'm here. Tell me, just what can I do? Some of you don't even ask. You just go and do. Jesus isn't sitting there delaying, thinking about how he might help. And he definitely doesn't panic. Why? Because he already knows the remedy. He already knows the remedy. There may be days when we thank God or you're just taking your time. What's happening? He already knows the remedy. We must trust that he knows the remedy. And so we see in transition that Jesus now decides to head to Bethany. When he gets there, it's going to be four days that Lazarus is dead. But his disciples ask him, what about the Jews, Jesus? I mean, we were, we were just in Jerusalem. Do you remember when we left? Let me just remind you. Yes, they had rocks and they were getting ready to throw them at you. They wanted to kill you. They're still there. Bethany's only two miles away from Jerusalem. And so what now? And Jesus responds. He says, it is light. He says, are there not 12 hours in a day? I was reading this to my son the other night, John chapter 11. We're reading from the Bible and I read this and he goes, "Uh, dad, aren't there 24 hours? Well, yeah, there are. Jesus knows what he's talking about, though. He's talking about the work day, 12 hours. And so if that confused you, it, it confused us as well. But he's saying, hey, it is time to work. It is light. And while I am the light of the world, I am here to do work. I'm going to do my ministry. And while I am the light, darkness cannot overcome me. Jesus is not threatened by men who pick up stones. He says, we're going to go. And so they say, I'm going to go awaken him. Disciples, they continue on. Jesus, he can rise on his own. I mean, if he's just sleeping, I mean, just come on. He can get up from that nap. The thing is, Lazarus cannot arise from this sleep on his own. And there's a deeper sleep than which we see here that we're unable to rise from, and that's the deadness of our sin. Many times we just want to convince people, just get up, man. Come on, you can do this. Do better. Maybe you have this high expectation of your children that they're not supposed to make mistakes. They're not supposed to inconvenience you. But yet, they're sinners, and they're going to sin. And to demand of them perfection is unrealistic. To demand that anyone can make themselves well without Christ is unrealistic. In fact, it's unbiblical. There's no way that you can pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and go conquer the world. There's no way that Lazarus is getting up from this grave. And there's no way that we could ever on our own rise from the deadness of our sins. And this the disciples will find out. Going beyond an illness and sleeping, Jesus says in verse 14, Lazarus is dead. He is dead. This is crushing news. All they know about death is its finality. And you don't come back from it. 
There's no bouncing back tomorrow after death. It's crushing. It's defeating. If Jesus was going to just go up to Bethany anyway, why not go before Lazarus dies? If if we're just going to go, this does not make sense, Jesus. Why are you you going back now? He's dead. If he's dead, he's dead. Now you're going to be dead. We're all going to be dead. It was for the disciples' sake that they may believe. All this being played out, Jesus says it's for your sake that you may believe. Because it's not enough for Jesus to say, I am the Christ. He's showing them that he is the Christ. Is Jesus being cruel? Is he playing games with his creation? Can he not just say, everybody be good? Come on, get your act together. And when we just all follow suit and say, okay. No, we cannot because of the curse, because of sin. He's not being cruel. He has the remedy. He is the remedy. He brings hope. But hear this clearly. And I say this with all respect. For us who have lost loved ones, the life of Lazarus was much bigger than Lazarus. And his death was much bigger than himself. And his resurrection was much bigger than himself. You may think that one day when you die, this world's going to stop spinning. How can this world go on without me? Because you think through that lens of you. But yet, it is much bigger than us. Oh, bless your hearts. I'm looking out. Some of you are so tired from losing that one hour of sleep. (laughs) Hang with me. Come on. So that you may believe Jesus is presenting evidence that he is the Messiah. If we say Jesus failed to produce valid evidence of his kingship, we are wrong. He did produce evidence. The question is this, do you believe the evidence to be valid? Do you believe the evidence to be valid? So Jesus says, let us go to him. And here's Thomas with the attitude of, we are doomed. (laughs) You have friends like this, always choose the clouds over the sunshine? No, it's not partly sunny today, it's partly cloudy. It's probably going to rain because it says 10% rain. I love that. I can't go there, never mind, she'll get on to me. But all right. Is he doubting Thomas or logical Thomas? We would say, oh, he's doubting Thomas, but really, maybe he's logical Thomas. He's saying, the logic doesn't make sense here. He's dead. What are you going to do, Jesus? When we use logic, we take what we know to be true, these facts, and we compile the facts together to make a case. What Thomas thinks he knows is that this is a lose-lose situation. He's dead. You're going to be dead. We're going to die with you. But are we to follow Christ by logic or by faith? Are you waiting for him to prove himself or will you trust in what he's already done? Yes, as we have faith, we see that this does logically make sense. 
But yet, without faith, I don't think it ever logically makes sense. They say, logically, this does not make sense for us to go back. Logic says there is no remedy for death, but faith in Christ says there is a remedy, and it is indeed Christ himself. We must give Thomas this, though. He was willing to go and die with Christ. Come on, guys, let's go die with him. This is it. I mean, we've already associated with him in public. We might as well go. As we fast forward, Jesus found that Lazarus was dead four days. Why four days? Because the Jews believed that for three days, in fact, when you were pronounced dead, they immediately put you into a tomb. They buried you that day. It wasn't a week-long viewing or a couple days. No, immediately you were put into a grave. And that for three days they believed that your soul would hover over your body. But on the fourth day, you were as dead as dead. Fourth day, Jesus shows up. We already said Bethany was two miles off from Jerusalem. So many of the Jews came to console the family. And they had been there. They, They got there before Jesus got there. But how can you console or be consoled if you do not trust in the Christ? Now, I know this may land hard upon unbelievers in this room. You think, how dare you say that? You think I'm insensitive? You think I don't care for people? No, not at all. not saying that. not accusing you of that. The question is, how can you truly console someone if you do not trust in Christ? You're dealing with death something that is permanent. Yes, we can be there to give hugs. We can be there to cry with one another. But if you're not believing in Christ, you can't pray. And if you're not believing in Christ, then what do you believe after death? Is that comforting to the person that you're coming alongside? The question is, what's on the other side? How can the Jews coming to Mary and Martha truly console them. Only Christ can console. Only Christ has the remedy. Martha comes to Jesus, and she had probably been watching the road for his arrival. Mary remains in the house, shattered, and this seems to be the two main responses to tragedy. Those who seek to stay busy and fix whatever they can, and others who sit in utter shock, paralyzed, with sadness and grief. Martha comes to Jesus and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Well, we could see why she would believe that. If you would have come, I believe you would have healed him. This is earthly thinking versus heavenly thinking. It's us thinking in place of Christ. Christ, you should have come. You should have been here. You should have healed. Why? Why would you say that this... Illness doesn't lead to death, and now he's dead. I'm really confused by this, Jesus. Doesn't make sense right now. Obviously, the word had gotten back to Martha. Here she is saying, if you would have come, he wouldn't have died. What a difficult place to be in when we are hard-pressed to believe that God is in control. His timing doesn't match up with ours. What he has allowed doesn't match up with our expectations for life. Can I just pause for a moment? We are all going to experience death. All of us 
are going to experience death. If we're here on this earth long enough before Christ comes back, if Christ comes back, glory be to God. We'll, we'll go with him and be a part of the new heaven and new earth that he will establish. But until Christ comes back, you live out your days here on this earth, you will die. I will die. Oftentimes, we think that there should be an expectation that we should live to 75 years of age because that's the average life. That's the average lifespan that man has put upon his life. We say 85. I mean, I live in the United States. I have good health. I should live to 85, 90. Why not 100? And now we have this expectation that that should be what happens in our life. When really, from day one, it's a gift from God that we live. From day one. You go, no, 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 no. I deserve... Stop right there. Deserve what? To live life based on what? The serpent who crawls in the dust as a reminder that we have rebelled against the holy God. For all creation to hear, not a single one of us deserves to live one day before holy God. You go, well, that doesn't line up well with my thinking. The question is, does your thinking line up with the Bible? We're going to experience tragedy. Things are going to happen to young ones, to those in the middle of their life. Death's going to come like a thief in the night. Or it may belabor for days, months, weeks, years. Not a single one of us is deserving of life. It is by the grace of God. If we have walked into this room today and we think that we deserve otherwise, we are not thinking biblically. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love because we face suffering, but that we should expect suffering on this earth. But I have really good news for you. And Jesus has really good news for Mary and Martha. He brings forth the resurrection. He brings forth eternal life. And they're not, when he raises Lazarus from the dead, they're not going to go, oh, that was good, but I really wish he wouldn't have died. No, they're going to celebrate a resurrection. Us in our present day, we go, yeah, 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 that's cool that there's going to be a resurrection one day and that there's going to be a life to live after this and it's going to be eternal and everything, but I want my life now. I want my life now. Listen, it's painful. It hurts. It's a deep hurt that we face with loss. But there is a remedy and the remedy is Christ, that he has gone before us and that he has prepared something that is indeed everlasting. Fast forward, Jesus responds, your brother will rise again. Mary says, I know at the last day. And here's Martha. Martha says, I know at the last day. And, and then this is what she says. She's caught between the now and what will be. When we're facing the hurt and the pain of losing a family member, 
of losing a best friend. We're caught between the now and what will be. And those are tough days. And I don't want to stand up here and just come with the attitude of saying, you just got to get over it. No, you, you really suffer. You really hurt. But in the suffering and the looking to Jesus and the trusting in the resurrection, you grow in Christ. It's the now that she's struggling with. And it may be the now that you're struggling with, but there is a future. And praise God that she believes in what will be. She too, though, has to deal with logic and faith because there's going to come a time when Jesus says, take me to the tomb, open up the tomb. And this is what she says in verse 39. Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he has been dead four days. Don't open up that tomb. She's going to make things worse. And maybe that's how you view life. that there's nothing to look forward to after death. Maybe that's where you currently sit. Christian, maybe that's where you sit today. Because all you think about eternal life is some place in the clouds where we're singing one song on repeat. And we even explain it that, that way. When we get to heaven, all we're going to be doing is just singing and, and singing and, well, I guess we'll be singing. But heaven is much more than just singing. It is worshiping God in purity, in holiness, in righteousness. And it's a new heaven and a new earth. This earth where there's brokenness and hurt and pain and unrealistic expectations placed upon others <laughs> will be done away with. And there will be an earth an earth that we live on with Christ and reign with Him. We will live life as we were supposed to live. And we won't be thinking about how should I save up for my retirement? Because it's going to be better than retirement. It's eternal life. It goes on forever. It never stops. I've said it before, I'll say it again, that vacation that you wish just lasted one more day or could have met all your expectations or that relationship where you expected more than what you're getting in return. When you thought life would be more than it is at this age, there's always that in this life. It never meets our full expectation. It can be great, it can be fun, and we can even say, I could never dream of more, but we can, we can. And that's what it will be. Worshiping Christ as resurrected people who no longer fear death. Why? Because Christ has defeated death. He is the remedy. Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? It, we have to admit this situation is different than most. I mean, they don't have any other situation to compare this to where somebody has died, they're in the tomb, and Jesus is about to tell them just to come forth. Jesus has clear intentions that this will be to reveal his authority and power over death for the faith of his followers that they would believe that Jesus is the remedy. 
Hear this, in order for faith to be strengthened, we must place our trust in the right source for eternal life. Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus. Christ is not the physical one who lives inside of us. That is the Holy Spirit. Christ right now sits at the right hand of the throne of God. He is in control. He is all-powerful. And he will return for us. He will return for us. And I hope he returns quickly. I hope he returns today. You say, oh, he can't do that. He's still got other uh, people groups we got to reach. Well, you may believe that, but I'm going to tell you, I, I believe the world has been reached. I believe that the gospel has gone forth and we need to preach the gospel ongoing. But in the 21st century, you're telling me that no, God has to wait until these nations are reached. I believe the word's going forth. You want to rest on that? You just want to wait? I believe he's coming back at any time. Anytime, come quickly, Lord Jesus. In the meantime, we need to be telling people about the remedy. Amen? If this is the true remedy, then we need to be more concerned about the remedy than we do anything else. Anything else. Coaching Little League Baseball. We don't call it Little League around here. We call it Five Star Sports. Coaching Baseball. We get on that field. What matters most? What matters most for a bunch of five and six-year-olds? Did they win every ball game? Is that what matters most? No, it doesn't. What matters most that your kid is the best dancer in town? What matters most? Your kid's going to be a professional athlete? The rare 1%? Go for it. What matters most is that our kids know the remedy for death. Hear it clearly. I'm just as frustrated about this as you may be frustrated about it. You say, why are you taking it out on me, Brian? I'm not. I'm just being passionate about it. Can I be passionate about it for a second? One second. Can I get one amen to be passionate about it? Here it is. We should care about the remedy for death before we care about what our kids are going to do in this life. Please hear this clearly, church. We are so consumed with the expectation of the world. Your kid's not athletic? Okay, that's cool. What does your kid like to do? Your kid not that good in school? Okay, how can you champion them? They're not going to meet all of our expectations. We're not going to meet each other's expectations. We're going to fail one another. We're going to suffer together. But what we need to be most concerned about is the remedy. Well, I don't want to offend anybody. I'm afraid if I tell them the remedy, we may not be friends anymore. But Jesus says, if they hate you, they hated me first. Would you rather love somebody all the way to hell? Or would you be willing to risk a friendship in order that they trust in Christ and be saved for eternity? We think that we have it easy here in the United States because we don't face a physical death for sharing the gospel. But I think it makes it even more difficult to share the gospel with this freedom and liberty that we have and fear of offending people with what we might say. It seems to be working. And I'm right there with you, church. We should not apologize for the remedy. And we should not hold back the remedy. 
but that which is eternal. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me shall never die. Here's the question. Do you believe this? Do you believe it today? Do you believe it wholeheartedly or is there a doubt? What keeps us from believing? Denying the Savior. Denying Jesus. That keeps us from believing. But not only denying the Savior, but denying the need for a Savior. You may think, I'm okay, Brian. I'm fine. Don't worry about me. Listen, you're no different than any other person that's created. If you think you're fine in and of yourself, hear this clearly. You're in sin, and you're not fine, and you're not okay. You should be in fear for your eternal life. But you don't have to be in fear. You can trust in Christ and be saved of this fear. You can receive life. You can live. Life really is in Christ. You say, I don't know if I want to trust in Christ because he's going to take all my fun away. He'll show you that that's not really fun. That your sin does not lead to life. It leads to death. Let him show you that he is the one who leads to life. And that you can live life here on this earth. That peace, peace in Christ is greater than money. That joy in life is better than anything that you can achieve and put your name on. That strength in Christ is better than how you may build your body up so everybody looks at you and goes, oh man, you must work out. Now, true life is in everything that the Savior provides. He is the remedy. Denying a Savior, denying the need for a Savior, and then denying the reality of death. You may say, I don't want to think about death. Well, just because you don't want to think about it doesn't mean it's not real. I don't like to think about death either. It's painful. It hurts. And my intention today is not to drag you through some some bad memories. But we must face the reality that death is real. Earlier this week, after I dropped my kids off from school, I was headed down the highway, and I noticed all the cars were coming around an object. I'm like, what are they doing? I get closer, and I slow down, and I see that there is an armadillo in the road. And as all the traffic is coming on the highway, he is bent down, and his head is facing the opposite direction. As if to think, as long as I don't see them coming at me, they're not coming at me. And everybody's going around the armadillo, and I'm thinking, it's going to happen. One person's not going to be paying attention. They're going to be driving. And boom, they're going to smack that armadillo. I hope it doesn't happen for the armadillo. I wanted him to crawl off the road, just so you know. But he's not looking. Maybe that's where you are today. You're thinking, as long as I don't look at oncoming death, it won't happen. But sooner or later, death's going to come. 
and it's going to hurt. Now, the question is this. Do you believe that Jesus is the remedy? Because what we're going to look at next week is that Jesus steps forward and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And he raises him from the grave. And Jesus, with the same authority, rose from the grave. And all of those who trust in Christ will rise from the grave one day. Do you believe this? If not, what keeps you from believing today? Would you do something? If you're saying, Brian, I can tell you what keeps me from believing. Would you come tell us? Would you come meet with us? Can we please have the opportunity to sit down with you and talk about this? We know that not every person in this room has it put together and is perfect. If you're struggling with this, would you write it down? This is what I struggle with. This is why I can't believe. Would you write that down? Would you so dare to write that down on a card here in church and put it in the offering plate or put it in our hands and say, what do you think about this? Please do that. I want you to hear that clearly. If you're wrestling with us, if you're really struggling, we want to talk with you. We're not going to treat you as some outcast weirdo. We're going to love you, but we are going to take you to the scriptures. If you're here today and you say, I believe this, Brian, I believe it with all of my heart. Keep following Jesus. Do not fear because Jesus is the remedy for death. Let us pray. Father, thank you for our time in the word. And Lord, I I thank you and I hope that this has landed heavily upon our hearts because this is a heavy scene in the gospel of John. And Lord, there are heavy moments in our life when we encounter death around us or we have death right there before us. May we not be of people who are afraid of what is to come because we know what comes after that. May we trust in Jesus as the true remedy bringing eternal life that we can live and not only just live one day but live each and every day in Christ. I pray for those in this room that are without Christ today that they have that emptiness in their stomachs. That they feel as though, what am I living for? And that they'll come for help. That they'll call out to you as Savior, Jesus, save today. And they trust in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And may we as a people who have placed our faith in Christ, may we continue with this faith and may we grow in our faith and trust in Christ Jesus as we advance through all types of suffering for we know that there is a resurrection. We love you, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.